Patrick here with some exciting news. We now have 10 local communities of engineering leaders hosting in-person meetups all over the world. Yes, you heard that right. There are 10 local communities in cities all over the world. These groups are led by engineering leaders just like you who wanted to create a place to connect, to share insights, and tackle critical challenges in the job. To get involved, go to elc.community. Sign up if you haven't already. If you have signed up, make sure you update your location and we'll get you plugged in. We're launching local events all the time. You can find them and get involved again at elc.community. You have to learn how to like build something, get it to a point that's satisfactory enough to you and be okay like handing it off to someone else so they can run with it. That's essentially been how I've operated in my career. Like not because I've had this like grand vision in my mind of like, this is how I get to like the thing I want to get to, but because I was just hungry to learn. I just gained this reputation of, oh, like if something's broken or something needs fixing or something needs figuring out, here's a flexible person that we can throw at. Welcome back to the Engineering Leadership Podcast. ELC Annual 2023 is just around the corner. At this point, we're talking a couple weeks away. So you're listening right now to a special series featuring past sessions that capture some of the themes and topics that you'll see during the conference. Why? Because you're probably wondering, what can I expect from the conference? The answer is incredible speakers and content. And this episode is just a little bit of a preview of what you'll be able to see. Speaking sessions will tackle some of the most critical challenges facing engineering leaders today. We're talking leadership challenges, how to grow and navigate your career. We're talking technology implications, all of them. Today's theme blends a little bit of career and a little bit of leadership. So if you haven't gotten your ticket yet, I'm telling you right now, you are missing out. You absolutely need to be there. There is only a couple weeks left before the conference. You need to be there. You can grab your ticket and check out all of our speakers and topics at sfelc.com forward slash annual 2023 to introduce today's episode. Prachi Gupta, VP of Engineering at Discord, and Chris Chiu, Director of Engineering at Figma, explore Prachi's best strategies for growing your career and leadership skills through major transitions. They also discuss what tactics work well for building community and leading in a remote and hybrid environment, frameworks for operating during wartime or crisis periods, recruiting with the whole person in mind, and why you need to quote-unquote give away your Legos in order to grow as an engineering leader. Let me introduce you to Prachi and Chris. Prachi Gupta is VP of Engineering at Discord. She's an active supporter of diversity in STEM, co-founded LinkedIn's Women in Technology Initiative, and is an alumnus board member of Women's Audio Mission. Chris Chiu is a director of engineering at Figma. Chris's teams work on collaboration and community, as well as Figma's mobile, tablet, and desktop platforms. Before Figma, Chris led product engineering and platform teams at Flexport and OpenGov. Again, if you're interested in topics just like this and beyond, you can get your ticket to join your peers, check out all of our other speakers, and explore additional topics at sfelc.com forward slash annual 2023. Enjoy this special episode with Prachi Gupta and Chris Chiu. Hey, Prachi. Uh, thanks so much for sitting with us uh, to chat about a few topics. Uh, I would love to spend this time talking about org leadership, and a little bit of career growth. Um, so maybe we can start uh, by talking about remote and hybrid. Um, you joined Discord right in the throes of uh, the pandemic, where I feel like we were all like getting a bootcamp lesson on remote work. Uh, and two and a half years later, it looks like remote is here to stay. Hybrid work is here to stay. Uh, we'd love to hear uh, what have you seen orgs and managers do uh, that isn't as effective, and what have you seen be really effective? 
that's definitely like top of mind for like most people I talk to in terms of, you know, oh, we are going to be a remote team and, you know, oh, actually we're going to be a hybrid team now. How, how does that actually work? And does hybrid actually mean what we think um, it means? And some of the things that we all like kind of like tried and realized are not probably the best things to do um, in the early days of the pandemic were things like trying to like do team morale things and like getting on a conference call together using whatever tool you like and trying to like do in, in like remote environments and they felt forced right there was no the only reason to be together was to like be doing this team activity together and didn't didn't feel natural not everybody engages the same way on uh digital media so it just didn't feel right over time like at least at discord we've evolved how we think about hybrid workforces and um, working together in a remote environment. Like at Discord, we we often say that, you know, our headquarters is Discord and not like a physical space. And if you're not familiar with Discord, it's essentially a communication tool that you can use for communities and like small group communication. So all of our work happens on Discord. Like our CEO jokes that if you get an email from me, it's probably a scam. You're getting fished. You're not going to get an email from me. So we found that like, working on hard problems together, like finding opportunities to connect around real problems is actually much better than forced team building activities or, you know, trying to like create moments of connection using things you actually care about, like interests that you have in common. So a large part of um, our employee base at Discord like really cares about games. And th these aren't like just hardcore games, right? It could be like, I, I solved my wordle this morning like how many tries did it take you? So just create using those common interests as a way to like connect teams together uh, and just building spaces around it works quite well for us. Another thing that we do at Discord is uh, we have a one person, one screen policy. So for hybrid teams, there will always be one person who's like on the screen, even if like five of you are in the room. So what we try to do is like, if one person is on the call with you, then everyone should at least have like, their own face on a single screen as well. So they have this feeling of we're all in the same space together versus a room full of people talking to each other and like one person out on the screen who's feeling like really left out of the conversation finds really difficult to like step into the conversation. So it's just a mix of mindset changes and like tactical things that we've implemented to make hybrid work feel more real. One other thing that we realized is that all of our physical spaces are really social spaces. So don't think of them as workspaces. The virtual workspace is the actual workspace and the physical office is where people come to like do group thinking together or like spend time together. Um, we've set aside budget to make sure people can like travel back and be in the same physical location once a quarter. So every team has a travel budget set aside and like every quarter, like they'll do things like planning activities together in the in the physical space together, um, et cetera, versus, you know, trying to always be in this like distributed world. Yeah, you and I were just talking about how like offsites often happen in the office now and they're really on sites. Uh, I, I just went through one and it seems like it happens at Discord too. Yeah, like we've actually literally, um, we, we took away desks from an area in the office and we just are planning on reorganizing that as a social space. So a place where people can do a breakout session like this or like have a stage or have like soft seating around it. So really like the purpose of the office is changing. So the way we furnish it has also changed. That makes a lot of sense. I think one of the challenges of remote and hybrid work 
is like creating teams that are cohesive and have a strong sense of belonging um, to all kinds of people. And I know this is something that you're passionate about. I would love to hear any advice that you might have around how to create a team that has a strong sense of community. Yeah, that's um, that's a hard problem. Like, I'm not going to pretend I like have that completely solved. But one of the things that used to be, you know, um, sage advice or like well believed to be the tried and trusted way of running teams in the past, I believe that doesn't work anymore. So in the past, when you needed to make decisions for a team, the way to do that would be, you know, just take a poll and like majority wins and like we go with whatever, you know, is the majority decision. So things like what is the team building activity we should do or, you know, how should we like structure the team or like what are the operating processes that we should use on a team where mostly, you know, either they were like top down driven. So, you know, some leader decides this is how they want it to be and like everyone else follows suit or, you know, the next best version was do a poll on the team and like we'll do whatever most people agree is the best thing to do. But I actually think that's an incredibly like isolating thing and actually opposite to like creating belonging for teams or like creating a sense of community because even if like majority of our team like pick something like the two people who didn't pick that um, in a remote environment your choice might end up being incredibly isolating for that person who didn't pick that choice so a common example that might be easy to like understand is like team building activities happening in the evenings works for most people but you know there's definitely people who that doesn't work for right so shifting that to okay if we're going to do a team building activity it's not going to be a dinner it's going to be a lunch or we're going to like go out and like watch a game together is more inclusive another thing that we do quite often is we just have these always on hangout spaces right so it's not like you're not calling someone but you just have co-working spaces in in the virtual environment on discord these are just voice channels that right. we have um available on like every team server and people can just hang out and like work together on things or we just have like chill times like blocked off on people's calendars like if you want you can just go and hang out with people um and you just spend time with them there's a fine balance between like doing nothing and like making sure you pick the common ground that works for most people uh, and i think creating belonging depends on finding the common ground that at least on like some cycle lets everyone participate right you're not leaving someone out of the decisions that you're making does that mean that you think that um, like engineering managers and team leads in general just have like a higher responsibility to kind of think inclusively about the team as opposed to delegating that out to like a poll uh, or like really creating these spaces? Yeah, I think it's uh, cultivating that sense of I'm responsible towards each and every person on my team and not just trying to maximize the outcome for myself. So often what we find is even if a manager forgets to account for someone's need, like someone else on the team will chime in and say, oh, by the way, like so-and-so actually like prefers not playing board games or like prefers uh, prefers that we do breakfast meetings. So maybe this time around, we'll do a breakfast meeting instead. Right. Or, you know, so-and-so person is in Amsterdam. They can't make the breakfast meeting. Let's do something yeah. in the afternoon. So that shared responsibility of um, who's on my team, who am I working alongside with, it's definitely helpful. On the topic of community and, you know, creating a sense of belonging, obviously diversity uh, and inclusivity is a huge sort of part of it. Uh, on the topic, you've talked about the importance of assessing the whole person. Uh, I would love to, to hear you expand on that. What does it mean to assess the whole person? 
when it comes to recruiting, when it comes to daily management, um, and like any stories that you can share related to that? Yeah, so I, I feel like um, assessment is actually the second step of any relationship in, 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 in a business setting. The first step is actually um, value. So what do you value about a person? So I think if you start, take a step back and start with, what do I want to value about the people that are on my team or in my company? And if that definition is broader than, you know, the skill that they bring or, you know, the specific job function they have, um, that's where your, you know, basis for, am I going to be assessing them as a whole person starts? Yeah. So for example, um, Discord is an incredibly, um, incredibly diverse set of like user base, right? People use Discord for all kinds of things from um, just hanging out with their friends in the evenings doing things together to like incredibly like deep interest-based communities. Like just the other day, um, I, I needed foot surgery and I like ended up talking to my um, my doctor and we got to talking and like she told me that the way she picked the major that she picked was because she got connected with a community of like medical students and like basically they helped her figure out like what's the right right specialization for her. Not something that I think of when I think about the typical like user I have. So one of the things that we really value in the people that we bring to Discord is what is your background? Like what are your life experiences outside of the job function that you have? And um, I, I think that allows people to bring their passions to work for them. And, you know, I see teams move mountains because it's something that they care about. Like Savannah is sitting here, like she... She's on our, um, she works on like safety for us and all the policies that are like incredibly hairy. And I can't imagine anyone like sitting all day thinking through like tough choices around like how do we, um, how do we make internet a safe place for all people from all walks of life across all ages. But she does. And, and like we have an incredible team that does that all day. And that's because in a huge part because of they care about it personally, right? It's like, it's a choice. You, you can't look at the kind of information that these teams have to look at and, you know, do it just because it's a job. Like it's, right. you just, it's going to wear you out soon. We have a lot of gamers in, in our employee base and we actually have like official gaming gaming servers in, and like an after hours gaming server. And it's, it's okay. Like I expect that my engineers are probably like we're up until one in the night, uh, you know, <laughs> raiding something somewhere. Uh, and that's okay. So, you know. I kind of expect I'm not going to do meetings before 10 a.m. in the morning and that's mm -hmm. fine. And it's important. Like they understand a big part of our user base and our yeah. like our cornerstones and our, right. around our strategy. So parents, again, like I'm a parent. Um, I know that I'm going to like have a split schedule. So I stop at a certain time in the evening. I'm like gone. I'm not responding to anything. And then I know I'm going to like log back on um, later at night when I have more thinking time and my team understands that they'll see a flurry of messages from me, but they don't have to respond to them at night. So just knowing what you value um, about a person definitely needs to go beyond like the specific job function. Like how good yeah. are you at writing code? You can be like amazing at writing code, but not understand who you're writing for. And, you know, your uh, uh, output will not be optimal. Right. Yeah. Um, on the topic of transitions, I think that, a lot of us are dealing with a, you know, a, like economic transition right now where the market just isn't as, I don't know, fluffy as it used to be. Uh, cost of capita is higher. Um, and you're, you're hearing about layoffs, you're hearing about hiring freezes, you're hearing about companies shutting down. 
as somebody who kind of grew up in engineering leadership and these peace times, what's your advice for transitioning to like operating and executing in like a relative war time now? Yeah, that's um, that's a definitely timely question. And um, I, I get that question a lot from my teams and honestly, something that I'm trying to help my teams transition to right now. At the end of the day, I think it's important to continue to keep that mindset of abundance. So when you're making decisions, when you decide how you want to operate with your teams, if you take away that sense of abundance and like the sense of we're standing on solid ground for teams, they'll just hit a wall of like analysis paralysis. Like every decision they make will feel so incredibly important to them that they might actually err on the side of not making decisions. Or, you know, try to look for security blankets, like make every decision based on data versus, you know, hey, this is a strong intuition I have. Like going back to, you know, we're, lo we're looking for like the whole person. Your intuition is probably right. When you, when you increase the weight of every decision, we will slow down decision making. And honestly, in, in war times, it's incredibly important to be like testing your hypotheses and like making decisions and like learning from them and like pivoting versus like standing still because this will end, right? And when this ends, like where you're standing when the world starts speeding up again will really, really depend on what are the kind of decisions you made and how did you use this time to grow and solidify the, the hypotheses you had or the ground that you're standing on. The worst thing you can do right now is be afraid of making decisions or, um, you know, be afraid of like just telling your teams that, Actually, you know, this is a time where we'll be making tough choices or not be transparent with them or, uh, you know, tell them that the speed at which they work is important. So like having real conversations becomes much more important when you know that um, there may be uncertainty in the future. The other thing that's really important during wartime is making sure you have clarity of vision. Right? So what you can do as a leader for teams that are operating in times of, hey, I don't know what's going on around me and how do I react to it is give them the clarity of vision of like, this is what our true north is. These are the things that we want to be true over the next two years. And tell me what are the steps you're going to take to make these things true. If you have that clarity of vision, people will be less afraid of like owning the decisions that they're making uh, because otherwise they'll be like, oh my God, like what if I make this, turn this test on and our numbers drop by 10%. That's okay. It's a task. Like in most cases, you can revert that in an hour or, you know, you can revert that in two hours. It's not going to like destroy the company. I think operating in wartime uh, often means a little bit less abundant abundance and a little bit less growth on teams. And for engineering leaders, like sometimes they can feel like kind of a career growth suppression. Um, you know, Molly Graham introduced us to this term of like giving away your Legos. Uh, and I know that you've kind of mentioned it in the past. Like, what does that mean to you? And why do you think that's important? For those of you who haven't heard that metaphor, I'm sure everyone has. It's pretty popular. Like giving away your Legos, essentially the idea is as you work on passion projects or like the thing that you identify with, that this is my thing, you get incredibly attached to that thing, right? And it's really difficult for you to um, give up whatever you are working on to like work on something else. When in reality, like in, in a startup environment, especially like right now, when you might try a lot of different things and see what sticks um, and like what gives you the hockey stick growth, um, you're trying so many different things out that you're getting attached to like one thing is actually incredibly harmful. Like you, you 
you'll sit there and wonder like, oh, if we did a reorg, like, why did we do it? Like, what does this mean for me? Like, how does my role compare to like this other role? And that's not what it's about. Like, you have to learn how to like build something, get it to a point that's satisfactory enough to you and be okay, like handing it off to someone else so they can run with it. Uh, because in doing that, what you've done is like you've created space for yourself to like go learn something new, like take on something more challenging. And that's essentially been how I've operated in my career, like not because I was like this, you know, had this like grand vision in my mind of like, this is how I get to like the thing I want to get to. But because I was just hungry to learn and over time because of those diversity of experiences and like all the different things, I just kind of like gain this reputation of oh like if something's broken or something needs fixing or something needs figuring out you know here's a flexible person that we can throw at and you become this like really indispensable like um, resource for the organization where you know if there's a hole they know they can just rely on you and like going going and closing that hole versus here's the one person we can go to like when we need to solve all our database problems like you can be an expert like there's definitely like roles where going really, really like deep and be an expert on something is valuable, but it's a choice, right? What kind of a T-shape do you want to be? Um, it's it's kind of like depends on how you want to set up your trajectory. Yeah, I feel like that applies even if you aren't pivoting to a new area. I feel like oftentimes kind of growing in your career means giving up some of the things that you're doing today to people who are in your team instead um, so that you can go on to do other things. Yeah, absolutely. Like I think setting up delegation like your your goal in any role whether you're an individual contributor or um or or people leader is to be making yourself redundant as quickly as possible right like that's how you get to go do something else or like do more of what you are doing Patrick here with some exciting news. We now have 10 local communities of engineering leaders hosting in-person meetups all over the world. Yes, you heard that right. There are 10 local communities in cities all over the world. These groups are led by engineering leaders just like you who wanted to create a place to connect, to share insights, and tackle critical challenges in the job. To get involved, go to elc.community. Sign up if you haven't already. If you have signed up, make sure you update your location and we'll get you plugged in. We're launching local events all the time. You can find them and get involved again at elc.community. On that topic, I find that careers often um, have some uh, pretty specific inflection points or tipping points that precede uh, an incredible kind of era of growth. Um, What were some of your kind of tipping points and uh, inflection points in your career that you felt like were really defining for you? I, th- I think I'm, I'm like inherently lazy. So that applied to my career planning too. Uh, so I never like, never ever like sat down and said, okay, this is what my next five years need to be in my career. Reed Hoffman talks about this S-curve of learning. So when you're trying to learn something new, um, you have this phase of like incredibly hard, like painful phase of like learning something new. Then you see like this upward curve of, okay, now I'm getting good at it. Like that's the phase where you're like getting proficient enough in what you're doing. And then you kind of like have this, like the top half of the curve, which is a little bit of a plateau. You've gained mastery in whatever you were trying to learn. And now it feels like you're doing more of it. Um, So I kind of feel like for me, my trajectory was more like a series of S-curves. You know, I started started working for a startup while I was um, still doing my master's. So technically I was working part-time at a startup, but really I was ignoring all my classes and 
just spending all my time at work. Um, and I really enjoyed that because, you know, the problem space was unbounded and I could do whatever I wanted. Um, and this was like real application of skills that I was trying to acquire. And by the time I graduated from a master's, I found myself in a position where um, there were like seniors who were graduating from my from my college and uh, you know, they were going to be like reporting to me because I'd already spent like a couple of years like building up the skills and within the organization. I decided to move to U.S. Um, in 2017. So that was like another like learning curve for me. Um, I was traditionally a back-end engineer. When I moved to the U.S., I was like, okay, I'm going to learn how to be more full stack and learn more about how to build technology top to bottom. It was like the web 2.0 time. Um, so my S-curve then looked like acquiring all of those skills in like a small team. I worked on variable devices for Garmin. So uh, took some of my experience around like working with large data sets and then learned um, how to apply that to building front ends. So every time I learned something new, I was like, okay, what's the one axis that's going to be my anchor point? What do I know really well? And then what do I want to like extend into from that? My next big jump was um, actually right after I had my kid, like I was going to come back to work and you know my I got an opportunity like go lead a larger team um, I was at LinkedIn at that time uh, and I was like okay like let me give this a shot trying to like come back from leave where now I had these like dual roles where I, I was like trying to learn how to be a parent but also learn learn how to like run a different team a different part of the business um, that told me where I could stretch myself and that was an reflection point for me the, the latest I'd say is like taking up the role of like leading engineering at Discord, which is a very different environment from any environment I've been at uh, before then. And, uh, you know, just the, the, the problem space is very different. The kind of problems I think about every day are um, very different uh, than figuring out how to write code well. <laughs> like that's, uh, that's a very different problem. Um, you mentioned being a parent a couple of times. You and I both have young kids uh, at home. How do you balance, uh, you know, family responsibilities with career aspiration? Um, I'm, I mean, it takes a village. You know, I, 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 you know, whether you want to like recognize that or not, like you can't do it alone. Like, I don't know how single parents do it. Like I have such incredible respect for anyone who's, who's a single parent, but you kind of have to figure out support structures. Like today, for example, like I have a, um, my daughter is sick at home, so like my husband is like watching her. Probably gonna like take her to the doctor and stuff. While I get to like come here, I almost didn't. I was like, should I? But then I decided that you know what, it's okay. Like I can let go of this for a couple of hours, um, do this other thing, and then you know I can go back and reengage. So setting your boundaries, having people around you that you can depend on. Um, I I feel like that's the only way I found. Um, to make it work. I don't know if you have tips. That I, can... I don't, but um, I, I was, uh, it, this reminds me, I, I'm, I'm reading Sheryl Sandberg's book and she talks about how important it is to have that real partnership so that like you don't have one parent who has all of the childcare responsibilities and, you know, would, would have limited your options today if that was the case. I mean, uh, on, honestly, I, see, I feel like it, I don't know if it's like just one parent. It's like, I don't think even just the two of us could do it. I think it takes more than two, in my opinion. Uh, and, you know, how you make that two, more than two happen is going to be different. But I, that's the one thing you shouldn't ignore. Don't try to do it alone. Like, it's not going to happen. Uh, and lastly, what is the best piece of career advice that you received? Uh, what was the context in which you received it and how did it impact you? 
Yeah, so I was actually started talking about this a little bit in my previous um, answer, but um, that time when I had my first kid, um, I have two. Um, so when I had my my son, um, that was the time when like I was like a week away from coming back to work from my maternity leave, and my manager called me and he was like, "Hey, Prachi, like I have this team. Um, he was he was he was asking me to." Um, run all of LinkedIn's homepage and the, and the feed team. And I was like, what are you talking about? I don't even know how to do my old job. Like, can you're like asking me to do like this, like new job, which is literally like the face of LinkedIn and I can't like screw it up. There's like very little room for error. And and I and I, I was the one who was like stepping back and I was like, no, I don't want to do this. Like, let me come back and let me go back to my old team and let me yeah. do that. And th- at that point, like he told me like, hey, Prachi, like, I, I think this is a good opportunity for you. I think you can do it. So instead of saying no right away, like, why don't you tell me, think about it, like spend some time with the team and tell me like, what do you need around you? Like, again, talking about support structure, right? Like, what do you, what kind of support structures do you need around you? Is it like stronger managers under you? Is it like um, different like product partners, whatever? Like, tell me what you would need to really like, you know, do your best job in this role. Instead of stepping back, and I think, I to this day, I think that's probably been the most meaningful advice I've I've heard. Is yeah, you know, instead of like just saying no to an opportunity, like think about what is the support structure you would need to succeed in it, and you know, ask for it. And what's the worst that could happen? You can still get your old job. Like no one thinks you can't do your old job if you can't do your new job. So um, don't lead with a no. I I think you know, just give it a shot. Was the advice like said differently? Um, our our current CFO like said um, said this in reference to like you know why he chose to come to Discord. He was like, yeah, you know, at the end of the day, I decided I want to like choose adventure. That's the one thing I keep in my mind. Like, you know, why not choose adventure? You know, we'll figure out how yeah. it goes. I love that idea. Uh, I think as engineering leaders, it's easy for us to think like we just have to fill all of the roles, all of the needs, right? It'd be this sort of perfectly <laughs> executing leader. Uh, but the reality is, we can build teams around us. Uh, that shore up some of the things that we are, um, you know, as capable of doing. Um, that's great. Uh, well, we'd love to open up the time uh, for questions that folks might have. Uh, hi, Prachi. Thank you for sharing your career insights. Uh, something that was on my mind was how do you build trust with a new team where maybe the existing people are technically more proficient in that domain than you were? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I, I, you know, I'm responsible for a bunch of teams where I'm not the subject matter expert. Um, I, I think it all starts with, you know, acknowledging what you know and what you bring to the table with the team. Like, be real. Don't try to, like, gloss over where you don't have expertise and just have that mindset of I'm here to learn from you. Uh, but here's the perspective I could bring. So, you know, I, I, for example, right, I have AI teams under me. I have, I understand most of like what it takes to take a team from like zero to one um, to build a great AI team. But I have not read an AI paper in in like, I don't know, the last one year at least, right? So I don't know what's the latest. Um, I'm not up to date with the academic knowledge, but the value I bring is the understanding of the product and understanding of what's important to the business and how can we use a field like AI to advance the needs of the business. And that's the insight where I like this is the role I'm going to play on the team and here's where I need you to like tell me where I'm like talking about 
something that I don't understand or like I'm asking you to do something impossible. There's different kind of leaders, like some leaders will actually attempt to get better at the at the core skills as well. But it really depends on the situation and in your personal like preference of whether you want to acquire the core skills. As a manager, I do believe you always uh, need to be able to, you know, at least have enough sensibility about the work that the team is doing that you can call bullshit on it because uh, it's one way to make sure you're helping the team make the right decisions. But being transparent and acknowledging the fact that you are not the subject matter expert is the basis of trust. And doing that consistently, right? Like don't jump into a thread and like start with making an assumption, start, start talking by making an assumption about a decision the team made. That's like the fastest way you lose their trust. It's like, you don't have the context. Like, what are you making this judgment on? When When you're inheriting a new team, or a team that already exists, uh, what do you do if the people you're inherit some of the people you're inheriting aren't as empowered as you would like them to be or as proactive? Like, when do you draw the line between coaching them versus finding another place for them? I think the easiest way to do that is essentially like sit with them, like do the problem solving with them and show them that you're giving them the permission to either like make the decisions or, you know, make the mistakes. Uh, so it's honestly like this is, like very close to home for me right now. Like I'm, this is something I'm going through with a couple of teams right now. And, um, you know, they'll, they'll come to me and say things like, here's an area, like I think we're doing experimentation too slow. We could be moving faster here, but they're coming to me with the mindset of I'm bringing this problem to you and I'm going to drop it at your feet and walk away. And I'm like, okay, like, here's the thing. Like, I agree with you. Like, why don't you go talk to like X, Y, and Z, tell them this is how you think. And let me know how that goes. So, you know, I give them step-by-step instructions of like how to go and like acquire that, um, the, the voice that they need. Um, culture is, is tricky, right? It's not something you write up on a wall and like expect people will follow it. It's essentially what you do every day. So if you're like talking to your teams in like small groups, like just keep asking questions versus giving answers. And that's going to like change their mindset gradually. Hi, um, thank you for the talk. I think one thing you called out was adding the responsibility of fostering culture and belonging onto the engineering manager's plate onto what was an already really hard job. How, as a senior engineering leader, are you helping the frontline EMs handle all of the tasks they're being asked to do? Um, I think the answer is, honestly, it's not a blanket answer, right? Like, Teams have different kind of people. Um, every manager is different. Like what they like to do and what they don't like to do is different. Right? One of the things that I always tell people is like, it's actually better for you to figure out what someone is really good at and like help them like succeed by like spending most of their time in there, like um, in, in, in what they're good at versus like constantly trying to make everyone like a completely holistic, like 360, like rounded out person that's like a perfect employee like that never works so there will be managers on the team who can naturally like think about how to do culture building and doesn't have to be your direct manager like might be some manager within like the team um might be a line manager might be an engineer might be like anyone else in the matrix organization what's important is like for whatever unit you're calling a team is there a person who's thinking about um how do you bring the team together how do you like bring cohesion and like ask them to do it. So that goes for like every single problem that you're trying to solve. So I don't think there's like one single formula of here's the mix shift that like works for like every manager and here's a rule book that I'm going to give. And this is what it means to be a good manager. 
it's actually an individual conversation in my mind. Um, some of the things that I do try to like provide is like a menu of options, for example, right? Like, so if you're going to like set up team communications, like here's some best practices you can follow. For example, like one of the things that we found helpful was because everyone was working remote and there wasn't like as much, um, you know, looking over the shoulder and seeing what someone else was getting, working on and like getting excited about it. Um, what we decided was like we created a progress, like progress, it's a pun on progress, a progress channel in our team servers where you were basically like anyone could post in there showcasing, here's what I did in the last hour. And like, here's the output of my work. And like people like rally on, they just find these like fueling moments of like, oh, look, this is a great animation I just built. And like someone posted it in that channel and like, everyone else like appreciates it. So you get that sense of like community. So that's kind of stuff like goes into like a run book that, hey, here's some best practices you can use for like setting up your servers. We have like a menu of options for like, here's the kind of team building things you can do that people can like pick and choose from. So they're not thinking from scratch. Um, similarly, like, there's like just a few different like playbooks around, um, you know, team management, career management, like, you know, building culture, um, et cetera, that we have that people can read and adapt however they want versus here's what everyone must do sort of guides. Thank you so much for the talk. There's some things to be said in the industry about being the unseen hand, observing and having observability and what the teams are doing versus being in the details and maybe interrupting and disrupting where you may not have the context as you've suggested. I'm struggling with this. I have a variety of security engineering teams that we look after, and there's very high context between those organizations. What's some practical advice that you've seen for being the unseen hand or the seen hand, depending on your perspective? Thank you. My management style is like, I'm usually like high level and hands off. If I'm not in the details, you should see that as a sign that you're doing what you should be doing. The team is operating well. But when you see me start leaning in and like, trying to understand the details of the work that's happening on the team, that's either because, you know, it's something I'm trying to learn or because I suspect there's something that's going, going wrong. Um, and I, and I, I try to be very transparent about like why I'm leaning in, like, hey, I'm trying to learn here. Or I actually think there may be something going on here. So that I'm going to like try and observe a little bit and figure out what's going on. I mean, for better or for worse, like being hybrid and online has the advantage of like communication is always there for anyone to like read and consume. You can be the invisible hand and like trying to observe things, but you need a method and system in your own head to do it so you don't drown. Um, I try to look at um, team progress and quality of decision making and quality of output as like my three big rubrics of, okay, like if these three things are okay, I'm going to like let things be. I'm going to like spend time with the team's understanding on like, what's their high level vision? Are they breaking that down into reasonable chunks and then like let them go do their thing? But definitely there are parts where I'm like, okay, I'm just gonna be here. I'm gonna like look at what you're doing. And my goal here is to like make you um, get to a place where you're like gonna make the right decisions. Uh, and there will be a point where I'll like step back again. But for now, I'm in here. Um, and one of the best ways of like knowing how that's going is also making sure you're not just talking to other managers, right? You have to make sure you're spending time with your tech leads uh, and make sure that you have team skip levels. So, so you know, like what's actually happening on the ground or like what's worrying, because often like your team will observe what's going on, but they feel like going back to your question, 
they feel like they don't, they're not empowered to like raise their hand and say like, actually, there's a fire here. Like, go do something about it. I think that's spot on. I think it's also important to explain why you're stepping in to observe because sometimes folks see it as like, oh, the VP's here, the manager's here. Like, oh, is something wrong? Am I doing something wrong? So you should be intentional about, am I stepping in to observe or am I stepping in to potentially fix an issue? But actually, you talked a lot. Sorry, you talked a lot about the culture and like best practices. So let's say when you transition from a giant like LinkedIn to you know a new, relatively newer player like Discord, right? Like, what are the things that you brought in versus what are the things like you know left out? Because I assume that LinkedIn probably has like career ladder things like like all of those figured out versus Discord is still probably trying to you know go through that phase right now. Yeah. So. Um... Like one of the first things I learned very, very quickly when I first came to Discord was it doesn't matter if it's like super obvious in my head, what's that here's the thing that needs to happen and that needs to get fixed. I have to frame it as first principles thinking. And that's important because you're sharing your thinking and you're, th- you're sharing like why and why now of like any change that you're trying to make uh, instead of like just making a change. So like Concrete example of that at Discord, like about two years ago, like we would, um, the way we would like talk about who we want to hire is like everyone, like we would do the interview loop and then we would do a round table and it would be like a verbal discussion around how the candidate did, like whether they'd be a fit for, fit, fit for the role that we are hiring for, et cetera. And the hiring decision was made on the spot. And I was like, wait, so we don't write any of this feedback? So, uh, and he was like, yeah, no, like it's working. Like, you know, people understand and we make a decision and we move on. I was like, Okay, that's good. But I, I'm pretty sure there are times when you're like in that discussion, you've identified things that this person should like work on once they're here and we're going like to support them in that learning. How do you document that? Or the worst scenario is like you go to an interview and the candidate like has some objection with the experience they had. And now you have like no written evidence of like how we interviewed that person, that we didn't have any bias in the decision making, et cetera. Right. So there's no way for us to like backtrack the decisions we made. Um, it made so much sense for me to like, just go start writing feedback, but I wrote up a document about like why, and you know, why this was the right time. Like if you were going to like go through accelerated hiring, you were going to like double the team. We'd move at a much faster pace of hiring than we had ever in the past. And it was important for us to like make this change. And people read that and I was like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Versus like just saying, let's make this change. All the hiring managers were like up in arms like why do you want me to do more work like this is not adding value like we're making the right decisions like how does this help me make better decisions there are definitely like steps to like there were like versions of improvements across the board of like here's what makes sense for us at our like point in time and scale and depending on the impact we're trying to drive there was never like a blanket of let's do everything the same way and like let's start writing promotion docs or like start writing RFCs for every decision that we're making. Like it was all mostly an evolution, like sit and observe how are the teams operating? Like what decisions are we making well? Which ones aren't we making well? And for the decisions we're not making well, like what structures do we need to put in place? But the thing that was helpful was like knowing like the best in class versions of how to do this. And then you can pick a point and like, okay, do I want to go to 100% of this solution or do you want to go to like, do some sort of like 80-20 thinking on it. So, you know, it's a balance. Hey, Prachi. Thank you so much for giving us tips and showcasing that you're very intentional in your conversations. This is not a trick or an interview question, but I just wanted to know your perspective. Uh, You have five direct reports, let's say, and then you have only certain time in your day and week, and those five direct reports are performing at different levels. 
how do you sort of think about balancing the time and how much? Just wanted to get your perspective. I think one of your key skills as a leader needs to be assessing people's strengths and um, potential, right? Potential is probably like more important than current skills. Um, and the decision essentially you have to make very quickly for a team, is there potential or not? Like if there's potential, you should absolutely be like spending your time, like bringing that potential out. If there isn't, then you need to like have a real conversation with the person like, hey, this is my point of view. Like, tell me what I'm missing. Like, what, what's, what's your special sauce that I'm not seeing and I'm missing? And like, how do I help you like showcase that special sauce more? In terms of like spending my time, like I, I we meet with all of my directs every week. Uh, it's incredibly important. Like the way I think about it is like my, my immediate management layer is how I generate leverage for myself. There's a part of like organizational design philosophy as well. Um, that's part of this question. I, I feel like if at any given point of time, I don't have a 50-50 like mix of people I can rely on to like just throw a problem at them and then you run with it. And people that I'm like actively investing and coaching in, like my organization design is not right. If it's like everyone is working independently, then I've done something wrong. Like I should be thinking about how to get them, like make space for them and get out of their way versus like continuing to be their manager because they're, at least some of them are probably like ready to do the role I'm doing right now. Um, and if it's the other way around, like it's too junior a team, like I'm not doing myself a favor. I'm not definitely not doing the business a favor. So I think the time balances itself out if your org design is right. Yeah, I think we're at time, but thank you so much. Let's give this panel a round of applause. Don't miss out on ELC Annual, our community's flagship conference happening in San Francisco on August 30th through 31st. You'll leave ELC Annual equipped with practical, proven strategies that will transform you into a more effective leader. Visit sfelc.com forward slash annual 2023 to secure your tickets now. Join us at ELC Annual and be a part of the future of engineering leadership. We'll see you there.